Tom had grown up bird hunting with his father, the judge, on a vast South Georgia timber plantation, and he thought to take the sport up again when we bought the house five years before. But he had yet to get back out into the autumn fields with them. He did not spend much time with the dogs and did not want me to make pets of them. It spoiled them for hunting, he said. I will take them the pills in late afternoon when I decant the rats, I would think. Then I can spend some time with them and no one will be the wiser. It had not yet struck me how much of my time was spent doing things about which no one was the wiser. Mommy restless. Nothing ambiguous about that. Glynis Parsons Fowler spent her entire married life in her big house on the great plantation and ruled her husband, sons, and household help with an ironed hand in the lace mitt of a perennial wiregrass debutante. She was never called Glynis. Her adoring papa called her Punkin, her sons called her Mommy, and her husband Little Bit. But despite the clawing nicknames and her diminutive stature, she was a formidable presence always. Even now, ten years widowed and five years into Alzheimer's, two of them spent under our roof. She ruled only now with mania instead of will and wiles. A restless night meant muttering and shuffling around her room, which Palm, no matter how weary, never failed to hear, and I, no matter how well-rested, seldom did. The note meant that he had to get up and calm her again, and I, whose task this was, had not, again. I knew that Palm had no thought of shaming me about this. The shame I felt was born entirely within me. I will spend the morning with her, I would think, and Ina can go for the groceries and dry cleaning. Finally, the note told me that someone with the potential for major financial support for the clinic was in town, and Palm was whining and dining him. Many of the clinic's benefactors liked to see the bright lights of the big city when they came to Atlanta. Not infrequently, that meant one of the glossier new dancing clubs. The first time Palm had come in very late from one of those evenings, I whooped with helpless laughter. Oh, God! I choked. I can see you with huge silicone boobs over your ears and five o'clock shadow glaring out from the front page of the Atlanta Constitution. Prominent physician caught in raid on unlicensed new dancing club. What would Amy say? Palm's square face reddened and his black hair flopped over his eyes, but he grinned, a reluctant white grin that split the aforementioned five o'clock shadow. She'd say it never hurt a real man to sow a few oats, he said, leering showily at me and twirling an imaginary mustache. And I laughed again, because it was just what she would say, and because he looked so much like the far lighter-hearted man I had married eighteen years before. I had not seen that man in a long time. I held out my arms to him that night, and he came into them, and it was near dawn before we slept. That had not happened in a long time, either. Palm has amazing eyes. They are so blue that you can see them from a distance. His thick black hair is usually in his eyes. The rest of him is solid and muscular, and he moves lithely and fast, a tight package of coiled energy and strength. He is short, or at least not tall, 5'9", my height almost exactly. He pads when he walks, like a street punk, and looks as disheveled as if he had been in a fistfight an hour after dressing. Palm doesn't care what he wears. He remembers the blue blazer because his father told him that a man needed nothing else but a good dark suit and a tuxedo to dress like a gentleman.
I think his heart leaped up when he discovered white medical coats. Mommy has always insisted that the Fowlers are of old Saxon stock, but both Palm and his brother Clay have Celt written all over them, as did his father, and his oldest son Chip is the same small, powerful dark creature of the Cornish caves. Mommy herself is small and bird-like, with a thin, high-bridged nose, pale hazel eyes, and the jaw of a mastiff. I think Jeff, the younger boy, looks like her, but since Palm's first wife, Lily, is short and gilt-blonde too, I can't be sure of that. I met Palm at a fundraising party for the new outpatient diagnostic center at Buckhead Hospital on a spring afternoon in 1978. It was an old-fashioned all-day barbecue on the enormous back lawn of an estate on Cherokee Road in Buckhead. There was a gruesome whole hog turning on a spit over a pit of banked coals, hams and pork shoulders on grills, huge iron pots of Brunswick stew, and great bowls of potato salad and coleslaw iced and waiting in the pantry. The miniature carousel and the aging clowns and the mulish Shetland pony and crisp young attendants minding the shrieking small children in the blue oval pool at the far end of the lawn were from the city's oldest party-planning establishment. I knew all this because I had planned the party, or at least had helped. My advertising and public relations agency had long had Buckhead Hospital for a client and had long done the PR and printed materials for its various fundraisers. I had been at the agency for four years, long enough to work my way up to copy chief, and this was my fourth Buckhead Hospital fundraiser. This time the board wanted to include families, and so Christine Cross my art director friend, and I had suggested the barbecue and modeled it partly on the barbecue from Gone with the Wind. Hell, it won't be any work at all, Chris Cross said. The board's got ten, twelve oaks between them and about a thousand slaves. We won't have to lift a finger. And we hadn't, hardly. When I stood looking down from the veranda at the barbecue in progress, it seemed to be surging along under its own volition. The only jarring note was a dark-faced young man with his hair in his eyes and a red-splotched white physician's jacket, crouching at the bottom of the veranda steps and attempting to mop a veritable bath of red off the furious purple face and arms of a bellowing, struggling small boy. The red looked shockingly like blood, but a vinegary tang in the still air told me it was barbecue sauce. Behind the man, a slightly older boy was dancing up and down, naked and dripping, waving a tiny wet bathing suit and shrieking, Dry me off! Jeff peed in the pool and it's all over me! The man raised his face to me, and there was such a look of entreaty on it, such utter helplessness in eyes of a color I had never seen before, that I ran down the steps and reached for the wet, naked child. If you don't stop right this minute, you're going to turn to stone, and you'll have to spend the rest of your life naked in this backyard, I said, pinning the slick, small arms firmly. The child stopped dancing and looked at me. The smaller child stopped bellowing and looked too. Oh, God, are you married? the man said. If not, will you marry me in fifteen minutes? So tell me about his eyes again. Criss Cross said the next day at lunch. She had pleaded cramps and missed the party. Criss Cross did not go to parties when no recreational drugs were offered. I never saw eyes that color, I said. Such an intense blue they could burn you. What kind of blue? Be specific. The blue of... 
The blue of those lights on the top of police cars, I said. Jesus, Criss Cross said. How utterly charming. Is his last name Mengele by any chance? No, it's Fowler. Pomeroy Fowler. Dr. Pomeroy Fowler. Palm to his friends. Of which you are now one. I guess I am. So, two kids, both brats, cop car, blue eyes, wife at Sea Island or Brawners? I glared at her. Sea Island is where much of old Atlanta goes to recreate itself. The Brawner Clinic is where it goes for its breakups, breakdowns and substance addictions. Why should it be either one? I said. Because no north side Atlanta matron goes anywhere else and leaves her cheering behind, don't y'all know? As a matter of fact, she's on Hilton Head, I said. She ran off with the architect down the street. Palm got the children without even going to court. Criss Cross and I became instant friends when she joined the agency, and we spent much of our billable time laughing. Of all my old advertising crowd, she's the only one I still see. She has her own agency now. We still laugh. So after you shut his kids up, what happened? She said. I bathed them and got clean clothes on them, and we went back to his house. He made supper for them, and I put them to bed, and then we ordered in pizza because the kitchen looked like an army had been camping in it. The whole house did. It's a nice Cape Cod in Garden Hills. I sort of straightened things up for him. I'm going to see if Totsie Freeman's housekeeper has a free day or two. Criss Cross looked at me silently. Then she said, Oh, Merritt, Merritt Mason. You did it again. There is absolutely no hope for you. You're a goner. Did what? Saw somebody in me.